0: Hey, flamethrowers. Last year, I had a really dope conversation with Tiana Bartoletta about the work that she was doing as a yogi and in organizing track and field athletes around the world. I have no idea where time has gone. I don't know how it's already been a year, um, but it has been a busy year for my girl. And so I'm so thrilled to be back in touch with Tiana um, because In addition to her three gold medals and her, you know, multi-time being an Olympian and gearing up for the track trials, she still has found time to write and drop a memoir that will be coming out today, June 8th, called Survive in Advance. So, Tiana, welcome back to Burn It All Down.
1: I'm so excited to be back. I want to be a regular guest,
0: honestly. (laughs) Oh, let's make that happen. Absolutely. So... First and foremost, like, I'm writing a book right now. I don't know how, (laughs) because writing a pandemic has not been cute at all. And writing is hard in general. Um, But I was so thrilled not only to see that your memoir was dropping, right, Um, but the title Survive in Advance is like, yes. Like, I know for me, it's thinking of resilience and perseverance. That is absolutely a mantra. And I know that that applies so much to your life. And I, you know, want to know everything you want to tell us about the about what it's like to have written your story you know and the power behind that um so yeah what can you tell us about survive in advance
1: oh my goodness you have never lied about what writing in a pandemic (laughs) is like because (laughs) on the one hand you're like I have all this time I'm not going anywhere I'm not doing anything else but there was there was like a base level of anxiety and like just, you know, tension we were all operating under that really, really serves to stunt creativity, I swear. And so, like, even though you have the free time, it's like you don't have the bandwidth. And I know that at one point I was like, you know what, I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to go on a writing vacation at pandemic rates on Delta Airlines because they were the one that was, like, most responsible and I was most comfortable with at the time. So I go to... Um, Nobu and Cabo and I'm like one of 14 people on the resort so it's like perfect and I have all these ideas like I'm gonna get up at eight I'm gonna have breakfast on the ocean then I'm gonna write from like 10 to 4. I was there for four days I didn't start writing until day four, about two hours before I was supposed to go to the airport. Girl,
0: can I tell you, (laughs) that story has made my entire life because everybody knows I booked a one week thing down at Hilton Head and my daughter was doing homeschool. You know, I drove her down. I was like, I just need sun and sand and look at water and I'll write so much. I was there for, what, six, six days, and I did a lot of thinking, don't get me wrong. I also slept, and I I woke up after sleeping like, this is part of the writing process. My body needs to rejuvenate, all of this stuff. And then I hit my stride when I had to check out like 12 hours later, and I was like, why? Why does this happen?
1: But that's just, it's part of it. It's like you need, your body needs what it needs, and we do so much ignoring of those signs. Um, But I started writing this book in 2015. I have always been a writer. From before I ever became an athlete, I was a writer. And I knew that I wanted to write my life story. And most people were like, oh, you're too young to talk about writing a life story. And I'm like, no, trust me, I have already been through enough to fill a book. Like, maybe I'll have to come back in another decade and write a part two, but there's enough here for the first trip, believe me. And, but my first version was a lie, honestly. Because Mm -hmm. I was still married and I couldn't um, and wouldn't speak openly about what that experience was like. And so like reading it would have been like, oh, this is cute. This is a, a nice inspirational story. But I would have known that it wasn't authentic and it would have definitely done me and any other person who read it a disservice, honestly. So when I finally left that marriage and started rebuilding my life, I returned to that manuscript. And basically, I didn't trash all of it, but a lot of it had to go and started the rewrite in 2017. And so I got like 65,000 words in and was like, I really want to level up my writing abilities. So I um, took a writing class at Berkeley through their extension program uh, and then signed the book deal with with a, a boutique publishing company, basically, that specializes in telling Olympian stories, right? So it was a, a very safe kind of incubator for me to deliver this story to the world. But I was in class at the same time. So I returned to the manuscript again. and I was like, Oh, this is trash. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> right.
1: So I signed the book deal. And they're like, you're already 65,000 words in we can we can publish it this year like you're basically done and i was like yeah and then i was like oh no i have to rewrite it so i began rewriting it again last year and um this is the version that i am proud of it is the most uncomfortable the most vulnerable but like it is absolutely real there are stories in it that i'm not proud of and I think it's important to include those two, because we all have been there. And I think that I hold this, this privileged position to have been successful and to have this seat where people um, might pay more attention to my story um, than they would maybe someone else, even though that's not fair. We all have stories that deserve to be heard and listened to. And that's why the responsibility to be open is so important to me. It's like, If I'm going to have this platform, if I'm going to tell it like Usher, then I got to tell it all. And that's basically what I did. And now the title of the book, it had always been since 2014 when I started dreaming this up, the title had always been Gravity. Mm. Like always. I was like, I'm going to call it Gravity. I'm a physics nerd. Like when I jump, when I take off in the long jump, I'm defying gravity. Sprinters use gravity to create the velocity i was like it's such a cool play on words like this is gonna be great and gravity also means like you know the weight of a situation this is not a frou-frou lighthearted story this is like some heavy stuff right so i was like it's gravity so february 8th was my deadline to turn in the manuscript to the publisher i finished maybe the last the last what i thought was the last chapter at the time um push save and i promise you, the book said, yeah, so my name is Survive in Advance. Like, Mm. it's cute that you thought it was gravity, but that's not my name. And the reason that it kind of came to me that way is because I had written the phrase Survive in Advance over and over and over within the memoir just to describe, you know, my high school mindset of getting through the district meet, and then just to get through the Olympic trials in 2012. And then again, in 2016, when I had the great fortune of needing to compete in the 100 and the long jump at the same time. Survive and advance on the track was just what we do. And then memoir is just, you know, basically self-reflection and analysis of a life or a period of a life. And I realized I was doing the same thing off the track, doing what I needed to do to survive and to put one foot in front of the other so that I could advance. And so like it just made perfect sense. But I can't really take credit for that. Like the book
0: did that for me. Yeah. And I, I love that. And in many ways, it's also just fitting for, you know, for you to have finally like gotten through the revision and in, in the one you feel comfortable with in, in a pandemic, which is the story of the last year for so many of us has been survive in advance, like get to the next day, even as the days blend together, right? Like that has been really a kind of very familiar feeling, a very familiar mantra. Now, there is so much that you said that I really want to draw out. You know, I love that you were like, no, I'm not waiting, right? Because I think that we do this thing with age and we do this thing with experience where we decide not only whose stories are worth telling, but when they're worth telling. And like you said, it changes. But one of the most fascinating things to me is like, if you read, like Jesse Owens wrote like four memoirs within like an eight year period, right? Like these are snapshots of where you are, but it also is like, you're not super distant from a lot of these stories to be able to you're being able to tell them with a certain lens that will look different if you were to zoom out more um but also that like what you're talking about in terms of revision like speaks so loudly to me because um one of the things that has always stuck with me about you know our earlier conversation when you were talking about yoga which is that like you yes your profession like you are you're obviously Olympian but you are so much more beyond that and I think part of being able to revise and and revise yourself over and over as well is to continue to work on various aspects of yourself, and even as your craft as a writer, that is usually kind of erased by the fact that you're an Olympian. And so, you know, I I just think that you're doing such great work here, and and. The other thing is that it's exhausting to be emotionally vulnerable like that. How have you navigated being so emotionally vulnerable in this work that, you know, is about to, you know, people are about to have their hands on that they're going to read these stories. Um, And and what do you hope that that indicates to other athletes and other people who are thinking about their own mental health journeys?
1: Yeah, I'm really pleased that it's become part of a more common, larger conversation. So it's been it's been easier to just be like, you know what, I'm not okay today. So I'm going to just bow out. Um, It got really rough um, for a while writing this story, you know, reliving traumatic situations and and just stuff coming up that I didn't even realize in the moment because I was in it, but now I have enough distance to kind of process some things while, you know, still living in a country that was basically experiencing a racial reckoning a lot of upheaval then the Derek chauvin trial there was so much and all I all I could do like you you talked about was repeat my mantra get to tomorrow like get to tomorrow do the next right thing um I had the pleasure of being on the Council of social and racial justice um with the USOPC. and it really turned into in the last couple of meetings just like, me saying I need help like I need support um I can't educate everyone like I don't I don't want to be the person journalists turn to immediately after we get a verdict and say what are your thoughts I'm aware that 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 just means I've done a good job communicating and being that voice for a lot of us but damn mm. <laughs> it's too much <laughs> and so um I have learned how to unapologetically step back. And I think I've done it in a way where people may not have noticed that there was a withdrawal, but it was enough for me to kind of recharge. I'm really, I really try to guard and protect my energy and my mornings are very important to me for that reason. And as long as I start my day off the way I need to, I'm usually pretty good to go. I can get to tomorrow and repeat the process. But I don't think in terms of like weeks or large blocks. Like Tiana is just gonna get through today. Most of the time, I don't even know what day it is. I just know like in this day, this moment, this is what I need
0: to do. Right. And now you you really you're not only vulnerable here, but you're you're dealing with you know family. You're dealing with all these things that people perhaps didn't see or only saw headlines or clips of during while you're competing. And I think it's like this kind of window into. This conversation about like, here's what what athletes are carrying. Here's the burden. Here's the mental aspect when they're when we just see. All right. Now you're running right now. You're doing, like this is mm-hmm. this is your craft. Um And I think that this is so apt right as we're going into a year that has been topsy turvy for everybody right like and you know like you said you have stories to tell and you have been places and you know perhaps people may not have had that same journey but i think that we are having a new framework of thinking about like what is required to kind of hold and carry as we are now turning into like olympic trials and so mm-hmm. you know what what is kind of on your mind as you are now approaching the 2020 Olympic trials being held in 2021 um, and you're thinking about having these stories out in the world but also uh, a place where athletes are perhaps able to be we just saw Naomi Osaka saying like I'm not going to do press actually for mental health reasons like do you think that we're in a moment um, now that people might be able to be more forthcoming kind of follow your lead about like hey this is what I've been caring, even if they're not ready to be as candid. Um, and that like I'm not just here to labor for you to entertain you to just run, but actually, like I'm a whole actualized person.
1: Yeah, I think athletes now are realizing they don't have to accept being viewed as a cross section of a human, like just one little slice, and that's it. That's the only thing. We don't have to accept that. And that is largely why i wrote this book in the way that i wrote it and i'm releasing it at the time that i release it because i'm i'm kind of like you know when i'm in my beyonce mood i'm like now you're going to see me like you're going to know exactly what it took for me to get to this damn starting line exactly what it took for me to stand on this runway and i want you to know all of it that way you can share and what it means for me to win You can understand what the heartbreak is when I lose. Like, I just want you to see me. And like, we also really want to be supported, right? And this is where a lot of us get caught in the trap. Like, we want to be supported. We want the sponsors. And then are shocked to find out the sponsor doesn't really like us speaking out about certain topics, right? So true support can only truly happen when you are truly being yourself. And too many of us are censoring that or curating and presenting only a small slice of who we are. And and that's why like these relationships and partnerships really bog down our mental health sometimes because we're like, oh, this is the box that I'm in. And if I push this way, maybe there's some real consequences uh, for, for me being myself. And what kind of cognitive dissonance does that cause in an athlete that truly needs to be fully present and one in mind, body, and breath when it's time to compete, having to deal with that. And it's just like, I love to see Naomi saying, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. No, thank you. Because she's more than that. She's more than what's going to be presented at a press conference. And you don't have to subject yourself to those type of things. A lot of us feel like we do. Naomi is in the privileged position to be able to, you know, get that fine and be like, okay, <laughs> write the check.
0: Absolutely. Track
1: and field athletes, we, we're we not getting fined, but, like, we're not really all that excited about forking <laughs> right. over even $1,000 because we don't have it, right? So right. on the level where you are, don't accept only being seen as part of a person, part of a whole.
0: Right. What story in, in the memoir are you most... um proud of telling?
1: The story that I'm most proud to tell is the one I tried not to tell at all. So when I turned in the manuscript, um, I knew that I was going to have to revise it and rewrite just part of the process. And part of that was for me to read it out loud to my best friend. Uh, So we read it out loud. I read out loud to him every day on the commute to and from the track. And it was easier to see where sentences didn't make sense or it wasn't clear. And that's how I edited uh, Revised the book the first time so I got to the end after reading it out loud and he was like "Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> no no where's that where's that story about you know what happened right before you left and I'm like I just I didn't really see the value and he was like no nah, when we get home you're gonna write this story mm. and I really didn't want to do it and I think I, I sat for a while, I closed the door, lit some incense, um, and I wrote this story. And I came out of the room and I said, I wrote this story. And I, I don't know how long it took me to write. Um, I said, do you want to hear it? And I, I read it to him. And I managed to, you know, get through it without crying or anything. But then he started crying. And then I completely fell apart. And I think though, it was the first time that I had actually cried about that particular experience. And I mean, I'm just really proud of myself for pushing through that. And I'm almost positive there are people that that need to not necessarily know that I went through it, but know that it's not a singular or unique experience and that you can that you can get through something that traumatic and heartbreaking.
0: Yes, thank you for sharing that um, That process. It, I think that survive in advance again, yet again, right? Like, it comes up. Mm-hmm.
2: Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent, all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database, matching your job description. Visit indeed.com bluewire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com bluewire. That's indeed.com slash bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: So Olympic trials are about to happen. They're around the corner. Where where are you at as you kind of look to this? I mean, we see you on Instagram lifting all types of weight with your amazing abs. So like, I know that you are, you are training. Like, what is your mindset as, as we look to trials?
1: Yeah. So basically in this window where there was just like a, like a 60 days to trial post and now it's like, we're a couple weeks away, um, at this point, like the work is pretty much done. Like there's, there's nothing really you can develop or figure out that's going to change, you know, too much. So for me, mental conditioning at this point is, is what I'm really working on because none of my physical preparation is going to matter if mentally I'm still unsure of myself. So that that's a lot of where my work is just kind of Focus on the process and committing to the execution, but also believing in in the possibility that it'll work out. I will say this. I'm not an optimistic person, Like mm. I'm not an overly positive person. I'm just I'm not. And I don't know if I like came into the world as that and life just kind of beat the crap out of me. And I, I am no longer that way. But I basically um, approach almost everything like. I am a realist that is open to miracles. Mm. Like that's where, that's the lane that I'm in. It's like, this is what the dad is telling me. But also I believe that I can surprise myself. So that's kind of where I go into all of these meets because I, I don't believe in overnight success. I don't believe in miracle performances. Like you are not going to see anything at the trials that wasn't worked on and prepared for for weeks and weeks, maybe even years before that. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's just like, I'm ready to take my shot. i trying to work on like, just fortifying myself and knowing that I can do it in the moment. And I've done it before. So it's like a little bit easier to get over that hump. But every single time is different. It's like the Hunger Games. Each version of the Hunger Games is a different arena with different stakes. And that's kind of how I feel about it.
0: Absolutely. Now, so I have to ask you, you know, one of the things that has been so hard to, like, reconcile as we lead up to to the Olympics, which is already, you know, we know it's been postponed because of COVID. We know we've been laboring under this kind of global pandemic. And now we're starting the Olympic rollouts, right? We have trials. Gymnastics teams has you know, trials around the same time. We're starting to get the commercials that are very persuasive. Um, and then at the same time, um, we're getting... Japanese officials, um, people on the ground saying our hospitals are at capacity. The town that was supposed to hold track and fields, um, you know, warm up training camps there has already said we can't do it. Like we see the state of emergency for COVID in Japan has now been extended through the end of June, which is we already know that people have been discouraged from going. Um And then most recently, one of the most dominant papers in Japan has joined the call for cancellation. And so, you know, we talked about this on the show recently, like, hey, we all know that the IOC, you know, is... Is profit. We know that they are the decision makers and that there's a very, very slim chance that there's actually going to be cancellation. And we also talked about Japanese athletes, um, particularly tennis athletes who have been speaking out, um, but that tennis, right, the Olympics is not their main circuit. They have other tournaments that have been able to maintain a bubble and stuff like that. And so we really talked about, like I talked about personally for myself, how much I couldn't stop thinking about you and Gwen and, you know, People who like this was this was a a really kind of formative like it's four years to this moment right especially if you're a track and field athlete and then on the other side you have this huge public health concern how have you if you are at all can you even stop and think about it is it one of those things that you're just like you know because it's the IOC is just gonna keep on keeping on or like do you wrestle with this this kind of tension between um, you know, the Olympics being held and knowing that there are like kind of very real concerns about the destruction that it will bring.
1: Yeah. And and I've always on different levels, especially for Rio, I, I started to when I was more aware of um, the poverty of just on the bus ride to the Olympic Village. I was like, how in the world did they win this contract mm-hmm. to host the games? When people are living like this and I was so conflicted to be contributing to such a like a drain on their economy while, you know, the IOC dangles this carrot like it'll be good for you. The tourist money and like you can then take these uh, village residences and turn them into apartments and all this stuff, you know, these huge promises. I think London uh, did a, a good job, but that's not the case for almost all of these host cities. So that has always been something that I've grappled with. But now this is like next level, just I'm not going to curse, but that's how strongly I feel about it. And it's just like, I feel really, really bad for athletes who have dedicated their life to this quad, to this four years with the hopes of proving themselves or, you know, making this team and getting these medals. I am in the fortunate position to have been there, done that, <laughs> right? And also in a, a really, like, I've worked really hard to get to this point where track and field is, like, the least of the things that I'm interested in right now. Like, I'm really good at it. But, like, if the Olympics were canceled, I'm not devastated. Right. I'm not, right. I'm not lost but i had to do a lot of work over the last 4 years to even get to that point because my identity was tied to being an Olympian mm. and an elite athlete that was successful for so long and now it's not so i think i am uh, looking at it differently for those reasons and so i can look at how irresponsible it could be for us to invite the world to an island that is like less than 2% 2% vaccinated maybe for yeah Uh, very low, (laughs) very low numbers. Um, And then, you know, cross our fingers and hope all the athletes, you know, stay in their bubble. And um, I learned that they're not providing masks, but masks are mandatory. And so now we've got, what about the poor teams? Can they afford to, you know, increase the budget so that their team can have all of
0: this stuff? For a sport. And that alone made me so mad because the Olympics, do you know how many condoms they provide in the Olympics? I don't know.
1: I don't know personally, but I... (laughs)
0: You don't know personally, but you know that they have literally in, if you go to the IOC museum in Lausanne, Switzerland, they literally have in one of their display boxes, like keys and condoms because they are like almost like wink, wink, joke, joke. This is how productive the athletes are in the village. I put productive in air quotes for (laughs) those who are listening. And so like the fact that we have seen y'all go out of their way over the course of the year and y'all being the IOC to provide Big Macs and condoms. And in the middle of a global pandemic, you can't be bothered to, to provide masks like at minimum. And like, we haven't even touched on their digging in on not yeah. only digging in on rule, rule 50, but like, you know, explicitly saying black lives matter, you know, yeah. is not <laughs> appropriate. And it's like, just when you think that they can't find a way to be, they find a way, they find a way, they find a way. it's, mm-hmm. it's a mess. Yeah. But, you know, I think that that point that you made about, like, your identity is not tied to this, but you've had to work on that, right, is part and Mm -hmm. parcel of, like, when we see you as a yogi and when we see you as a writer and when you are dropping this, you know, this memoir. And so I think that that is a really kind of valuable perspective of, of what we have required of athletes to tie their identity to being an Olympian and what is required to find other pieces of yourself.
1: Yeah, and you really just... Again, what I thought was like the most devastating thing in the world for, you know, my former sponsor, Nike, to not even bother to resign me or even offer me like a pennies on the dollar contract. That was devastating to me at the time. But then I was like, wait a minute, I'm free because if I go to the Olympics and win, I get zero (laughs) dollars. I get zero dollars for that. If I stay home. I get the same amount of dollars for that. Like, there's so much freedom in like what, how I can go into the trials, and just like the the burden of expectation and like punishment for not doing or doing is gone. Mm. And that really, I think, was um, a a final, you know, five figure <laughs> catalyst to me figuring to me understanding that like, yeah, Tiana is a is a, a whole human. And I very much, you know, I do practice yoga, but I also am a practicing Buddhist. So like, compassion for all is really, really important. And it's just the lack of compassion, the IOC is displaying towards the people of Japan, towards athletes, towards black, Americans specifically and other people of color and just selectively choosing what rights to champion and promote it's just it's really disturbing for me
0: absolutely well listen I think that you know survive in advance and I think that next step right is like what you just articulated what does it mean to not only survive and advance but like move outside of the box you've been placed in right and survive advance and then thrive exactly well you know when I watch you move I'm like sis is thriving now right and so I am I'm I'm really proud of you of course in the work that you're doing I love to see it um, and and I'm thrilled for everybody to get their hands on this memoir. So where can they find it? It is out today, June eighth. Gemini season has blessed this book. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Where
0: can folks pick up a copy?
1: Okay, it's available on Amazon.com um, and other online retailers. Just search "Survive in Advance" and my name, and it should come right up. And also, there will be like an inventory of signed copies available on my website at Tiana B dot com. If you don't see any there, just keep checking back. They come in over time.
0: <laughs> I can uh, bear witness that Tiana is sitting in front of two stacks of books. That will be Stein. <laughs> um, and so anything else that we should keep an eye on, obviously, we'll be watching the trials and cheering for you. Um, but I know that you, you know, ha- are still doing uh, yoga. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, sis, this is hardworking. You know, I operate with like most hours in the day available to me, but you are also like just always grinding. So is there um, anything else that we should keep our eye on or that you have coming up that you want to shout out or put on our radar?
1: Yeah. Um, anytime that I start to feel overwhelmed, like I'm not, like I can't do it all, I turn on um, Beyonce's Homecoming on Netflix. And yes. I'm like, I can do this. She could do that. I can do this. <laughs> um, but, you know, keep an eye on, um, just keep an eye on tianab.com because you talked about this earlier. What's the next step after you've survived and advanced? And it is true. Um, that is to thrive, but there's a step in between, and that's learning how to grant yourself the permission mm. to thrive. A lot of us are a little bit stuck in like the deserving and the the worthy to do the thriving part, and so I'm I'm doing a lot in that in that space um, with um, Club 360 coming back and some coaching and mentorship programs that I'm gonna roll out. So just keep an eye on TianaB.com because I made it in order to help you make it too.
0: Absolutely. Well, we uh, cannot wait to watch you continue to thrive out here. And I think that you are serving as an important reminder to anybody who sees survive in advance and knows and feels those words um, and, and letting us all be reminded that telling your story is powerful, um, and having the, the space to do it. Um, I'm so, I'm so glad that it's out in the world. So Tiana, thank you again for coming back to burn it all down and best wishes, best of luck, you know, still looking for those miracles, finding that joy, um, and, and thriving above all else. So thanks again. Thank you. Uh